All right, thank you guys again for sharing that song with us. Well, we have finished our previous series. Uh, For those of you who have been here the last 10 weeks, we've been going through a series we called Black Sheep and the Shepherd Who Loves Them. And the premise of the whole series was that we looked at times where Jesus would interact with uh, the people who were on the fringes of society or who were hated by society even. And we saw that Jesus Christ had great compassion for these people. And I hope you enjoyed the series as much as I did. Uh, But now we are switching gears a little bit and we are heading into the Advent series. And uh, we heard the, the first worship or the first Advent theme, which is hope. And basically, my next four or five sermons are just going to follow the Advent theme as well, the hope that we have in Christ. And so it's going to be very simple. You know, we're having a baby in the near future. So I have decided to keep these next uh, number of sermons very simple. There's going to be the same outline each time. Uh, And and this week, it's what is hope? That's the first question we're going to answer. Why do we need it? is the second. And third, we're going to talk about how Jesus Christ is our hope. And then next week, it'll be, what is peace? Why do we need peace? And how is Jesus our peace? And we'll kind of work through the themes each and every week. And we start this week with the seemingly simple question, what is hope? But actually, it's, it's not all that simple to define, because there's about 2,000 years between us and the New Testament. And so today we use it in certain ways. First of all, we might say, I hope that it doesn't rain today. Right? That's a very common way of using the word hope. And and what we mean by this is, is I have a strong desire that it will not rain. But I don't really know if it will or won't. I just hope that it won't happen. We have another way we use it. It's very similar. Um, For this, I'll use... Uh, Terry Degenhart as our example. She is our resident Vikings fan. You got to have one, right? And so she might say something like this. The Vikings' only hope of winning is if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt. Okay? (laughs) Now, when we use hope in this way, then hope is all we have. All the Vikings have is hope. (laughs) Or the Gophers yesterday and so on. But But we call this, in a sense, hoping against all hope, right? That's all you have is hope. We have nothing else besides hope. And so in the first instance, where we hope it doesn't rain, we're, we're talking about something that we want, but we have no idea if it will happen. And in the second instance, we use hope to talk about something we actually don't think will happen. We really don't see any chance of it happening at all. And so when we use hope today, we use it as if we don't have confidence. It's a guess. It's a hope. It's it's just, I desire for this to happen, but I don't really know. There's no assurance. But the biblical use of the word hope is much different. Typically, when you see the word hope in Scripture, there is confidence behind it. Certainty, even. Let me give you an example right off the bat. Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 24. The Apostle Paul says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't get the idea that the Apostle Paul here is crossing his fingers. In this hope, hopefully, we will be saved. That's not what he's saying. He's not hoping against hope. Rather, he is expecting the salvation. He is expecting the resurrection of our bodies. Or as he puts it, he is waiting eagerly for it. And I kind of like this verse because he compares it to the eager expectation of pregnancy. (laughs) And we know a little something about that right now. Uh, Laura, maybe a little more than me, I suppose. But right now we have this eagerness. This eagerness, on the one hand, to get pregnancy over with. (laughs) To have this time of of discomfort and pain finished with. And that will only intensify as labor comes and all those things, right? He talks about the pains of childbirth. That's what we're in right now. This life is painful. And we are eagerly awaiting that time when we will be resurrected. In this hope, we were saved. We have that hope that this time will be done. But also, if I could continue in the pregnancy metaphor that Paul uses, we also have this hope of something wonderful. It's not just that this time will be done, but we have this hope that we're going to have this little baby. We're going to be able to hold it. We're going to be able to play with it, and it's going to grow up. And and we, we expect this to happen. We are waiting eagerly. We don't doubt. We know that it's going to happen. And that's the kind of hope that Paul talks about in Scripture. Let me just show you one more passage that demonstrates this. Uh, It's found in Hebrews 6, 11 through 12. And here the author writes, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now notice first of all that You can have the assurance of hope. You can know you have hope. It's not a guess. It's not just simple optimism. It's assurance. You know it. That what you are waiting for is going to happen. I think that plays out in the rest of the passage in verse 12 because I think we see there the formula for hope. The author says, that he wants them to have hope until the end, and the way they should do this is by imitating those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so the formula is, I think quite simply, faith plus patience equals hope. I think I have a slide of it here, Jason, if you want to throw it up there. A couple more. Anyway, hope equals faith plus patience. Patience. It's believing and waiting combined together. Or as Pastor John Piper has said it, hope is faith in the future tense. That's really what it is. It's, it's not something less than faith. It's not crossing your fingers. It's faith in the future tense. It's the things we know are going to happen, but we have to wait for them, which of course is very difficult to do. And so... That's what we need to understand when this, with this first question. What is hope? It is faith and patience combined. 
But of course, just knowing what hope is is not enough on its own. We also need to know what hope is for. Why do we need hope? What's the big deal about hope? After all, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, he has said in the past, we don't need hope. In fact, hope is, it, it just kind of crushes people, he says. Listen to this quote, Friedrich Nietzsche. Hope in reality is the worst of all evils because it prolongs the torments of man. You see, for Nietzsche, the, the longer we hold on to this notion that there is hope, especially hope in an, in an afterlife, the longer we do this, the, the, the more hope we gather that's just going to be disappointed. And not only that, but as we listen to those who are giving us hope and we're buying into this idea that there is hope, the longer we do this, the more power those people have over us. And so we, and once we give up this idea that there's hope, then we can be free to just live the life we're supposed to live without thinking we need to move towards this hope. It's kind of like, uh, you've probably seen these, these cartoons where the guy's riding the donkey and he's holding a fishing pole with a carrot on the end of a string and the donkey is running to try to get the carrot, but he's never going to get it. Well, that's kind of how Nietzsche sees hope. It's just this carrot that's out there that keeps guys driving towards certain things and it keeps power in the hands of the church, but they're never going to get that hope. And so they could have lived a free life, but they didn't. And that's torment. But the thing is, is I think, I think that this just causes more torment than it solves. He may think, think that this frees us, but I think it condemns us in many ways. Even if Nietzsche's atheism is right, are we really better off living this life without hope? I think we have to ask that of Nietzsche. Is it really better for life to be meaningless, empty, nothing, as he says? Well, to answer this, I'm just going to quickly give four reasons why I think we need hope. And not just any hope, but the confident and eternal hope that we are offered in Scripture. That's the kind of hope that we need. And four reasons for why. First, we need hope because it keeps us from becoming excessively anxious. Hope keeps us from becoming excessively anxious. Many people here today deal with anxiety on a daily basis. Crushing anxiety, even. And all of us, I know, deal with it from time to time in our lives. It, it pops up where you just start to worry and you start to, to think that, that nothing is ever going to get better. Things are bad now and they're only going to get worse. And I would say to you that hope really is our greatest ally when this happens. We see this in the book of Psalms, where the various psalmists are... are there's a lot of anxiety in the book of Psalms, I guess. You, you see this just constant... You know, what's happening in my life? God, what are you doing? All of these wrestling with anxiety in the book of Psalms. And in Psalm 42, we see the psalmist say in verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Now that's anxiety, isn't it? All the day long he is weeping, he says. I, I'm, I'm eating my tears. That's, I, that's it. I don't have an appetite for food. I'm just, it's just tears all the time. And then not only that, but there's these people who are rubbing salt in my wounds by saying, where is your God now? Where did he go? 
This just adds to his anxiety, I'm sure. But then we see his hope in verse 5. He starts to gain this, this patient faith. His hope and his faith in the future tense. And so he says in verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I love this because he's talking to his own soul. Uh, you know, he's not, he's not crazy, <laughs> if that's what you're thinking. Rather, he's, he's trying to remind himself down deep in his soul who God is and what God has promised him. And that he doesn't need to be anxious because ultimately God is his hope. His hope is not in his circumstances. If they were, he'd be hopeless because his circumstances stink. And his world is crashing down around him. But his hope is in God. And I like what one preacher said. He said that basically what, what uh, the psalmist here is doing is he's, he's preaching a sermon to himself. Just a little two-line ser- two sermon. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That's all he can do when everything seems to be crumbling, is remember who God is and what God has promised. And then that can bring him out of the depths of anxiety. Now, I won't pretend that this is easy by any means. This isn't something you just tell yourself once and you're cured, right? Oh, I should have just been hoping in God all along. Well, okay, now I'll go on my merry way. No, this is a constant battle. I want to let you know that as well. This is a constant battle. You will always be telling yourself, all right, my hope is not in my circumstances. My hope is not in this day. My hope is not in this year. My hope is not in this life. It is in God and in Him alone. Continue to preach that to yourself. Just two lines. Uh, Memorize this verse, perhaps. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. When you have excessive anxiety, do that. That's the first reason we need hope. The second reason is very similar. It's related to the first. I would say that that anxiety is a subset of this second reason for hope, which is that we need hope in order to endure suffering and pain. Some of you know what it's like to feel hopeless in the midst of suffering. You know what it feels like to feel like there's just no reason to get out of bed in the morning. Everything's garbage. My life is garbage. Why would I get up and just live in garbage? I may as well just stay in bed. Or maybe that's not it. Maybe you've, you've felt that temptation or felt that strong urge or given in to that strong urge to just drown that hopelessness, that pain, that suffering in, in alcohol or sex or drugs or work. Just to find some outlet so that you can forget about the hopelessness for a while. But of course, once that's over, it just rears its ugly head again. Friedrich Nietzsche, he went beyond just drowning his pain in alcohol or things like that. He felt the weight of hopelessness quite strongly, and so he said, The thought of suicide is a great solace. It's a great comfort. By means of it, one gets through many a dark night. You've got to at least love Nietzsche's honesty here. He's really honest that without hope, the only solace I have is in suicide. That's what gets me through the night. 
That's my only hope remaining is that one day I will die and become nothing. But you see, I don't think that this is better than having hope in God. I really don't. Because when you have hope in Him, you can endure the darkest of nights, the most difficult of situations, the most painful of situations. Not easily, but but faithfully you can endure these things. The Apostle Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. He says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Paul says something very similar in Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Do you see, there's your hope. It's not always the easy pill to swallow, but the hope is that your suffering won't last forever. That's how it feels when you're in the middle of it, but it won't. And in fact, God will turn that suffering into glory, a glory that is so great that the suffering that you are enduring can't even hold a candle to it. That's what Paul tells us. It's not even worth comparing to the glory that is waiting for you. Martin Luther King Jr., who suffered not just for himself, but on behalf of millions of people. He understood this well. And so he said, We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose our infinite hope. We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose our infinite hope. We have, on the one hand, finite, temporary, limited suffering, but infinite, unending, unlimited hope in Christ. He understood this. And we must understand it too if we are going to have hope when everything is going wrong. If we're going to have hope in the middle of pain, we need to remember that we have this infinite hope that can choke out all of these finite disappointments, all of this finite suffering. And we have this infinite hope because of the infinitely powerful and infinitely loving God that we serve who has promised to save us and bring us up out of this. Third, we also need hope because it allows us, I believe, to love and serve others. If you think about it, if my hope is just in this life, if my hope is in having a good and pleasurable life on earth, having a good day or a good year or a good life, then logically speaking, I think, the right response is to do whatever I can to have a really good life have a really pleasurable life. And that's what I should be chasing more than anything else. I've got to maximize this life because it's all I get. There's that saying now, YOLO. Have you ever heard of this? Some of the younger people might. I don't think it's cool to say, um, but people say it sometimes. It means you only live once. All right? And so, you know, people will uh, say, I did this today. Hashtag YOLO. I'm I only live once, so I did this crazy thing or this wrong thing or this weird thing or whatever it might be, okay? Well, if YOLO is true, then I have every reason to just kind of ignore the needs of others because I'm only going to live once. This is my one shot. Why would I sacrifice my comfort and money to serve others when I only get one life? Evolutionarily speaking, this attitude makes sense. In fact, Charles Darwin says that sympathy, 
this ability we humans have to care about one another. He says, in, in essence, it's a weakness of humans. Because it's not going to strengthen the gene pool, and it, and it doesn't demonstrate the survival of the fittest theory of, of, of Darwin's, where the strongest flourish and the weakest perish. Let me read you a quote. It's a little bit lengthy, and, and uh, I'll try to help you follow along. Um, but he says, The aid which we feel impelled to give to the helpless is mainly an incidental result of the instinct of sympathy, which is originally required, or acquired as part of the social instincts, but subsequently rendered, in the manner previously indicated, more tender and more widely diffused. He said, as human beings evolved to become social beings, we also, with this, accidentally developed sympathy where we started to care about one another. And it's actually, he says, it's only gotten worse. It's become more tender and more widely diffused. He goes on to say, nor could we check our sympathy. We couldn't stop it. If so urged by hard reason, without deterioration of the noblest part of our nature. The surgeon may harden himself whilst performing an operation, for he knows that he is acting for the good of his patient. But if we were intentionally to neglect the weak and helpless, it could only be for a contingent benefit with a certain and great present evil. Hence, we must bear without complaining the undoubtedly bad effects of the weak surviving and propagating their kind. Now, what he's saying here is that as we evolve to become social beings, we develop sympathy for others, and we can't do anything about it. This is just who we are. It's, it, it's been, this sympathy has been hardwired into us. And so even though we shouldn't have it, and it'd be better if we didn't have it, we should just follow it anyway. We shouldn't fight it. Because it's just who we are. We're sympathetic beings. And at the end, he basically says we should just grin and bear it. That the weak will survive and propagate their kind. Now, I don't know what you think when you hear this, but it's not exactly... A resounding celebration of human dignity, is it? It doesn't say that all people, the poor, the lame, the blind, the deaf, they're all inherently valuable. No, he doesn't say this at all. But this is what we have. or This is what we can say because of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. You see, if hope is not in this world, but in the next... If it's not in this moment, but it's in eternity, if it's not in the strength of the gene pool, but in God, then we must have sympathy and even outright love for the weak. See, the weak are not to be merely tolerated with this hope, but cherished because they too have the same hope as us. Hope of being saved, hope of being redeemed and resurrected at the end times. They still have hope, and so we are to care with them, or for them. This is what we saw throughout our previous series, the Black Sheep series. Jesus is constantly showing compassion for the sick and the poor, and, and even wee little men like Zacchaeus. He cares about them. He loves them. He's not worried about what they're going to do to the gene pool. And that's because they have eternal value in hope, and hope in him. And so for us as Christians, we must work to see people, not necessarily as they are now, weak or helpless or fragile or poor, 
but rather we must work to see them in light of what God can do in them and for them in eternity when they are resurrected. And so we have to work to to see the disabled in their perfectly resurrected bodies. We must work to see the poor clothed in Christ. We must work to see the malnourished at the great feast that Christ has prepared for us. And we must work to see the mentally ill as sought-after lambs that Jesus wants to bring in to the flock. We must not see their limitations, but instead we ought to see the unlimited hope that Christ has for them. That ought to cause us to love them and to work to restore them and fix their pain because we know that Christ will ultimately do this in the end. They have a hope. They're not dooming the human race. They are part of the human race. And because of that, Christ loves them and desires to save them. That's the third reason we need hope. It helps us to sacrifice and care for others. Fourth, we need hope because I believe it, strength, it reduces the strength of temptation to do what's wrong. It reduces the strength of temptation. No matter what the wrongdoing might be, an eternal, confident hope can help us to avoid that temptation. Let me give you just a, a crude example here. Not, not crude in the bad sense, but in the simple sense. Uh, imagine you see something that you really want and you know you can get away with taking it. And you see it as a rather victimless crime. You know, you're stealing something from Walmart. The Waltons don't need any more money. They got tons of money. So I could take this and, you know, it'll bring pleasure to my day. This would be great. Victimless crime, I'm, I'm going to get away with it. Now, if my hope is in this life, if my hope is in this day being good, logically speaking, why not take it? Why not? It just kind of makes sense. I only live once. I may as well have the, you know, this thing I really want, plus I get the thrill of stealing it. It's a win-win. But you see, if my hope is not in this life, if it's not in the things that I can acquire for myself during this life, then I don't need to steal that thing. I don't need it for happiness. I don't need it for hope. Rather, I'm living for something else. I'm not living for today, I'm living for eternity. And so I don't need that thing. I don't need to go on, uh, on a big sexual conquest. I don't need to, to fight and claw and deceive my way up the corporate ladder because in the end, that's not going to matter. That's not where my hope is. You see, it's our hope in eternity that allows us to make decisions with integrity. To say, I don't need this. I am living for something bigger, something better, something that I am assured of so I don't have to jump on this chance for happiness because I know it's coming. Now, those are the four reasons we need hope. Hope keeps us from excessive anxiety. It helps us to endure suffering. It allows us to serve sacrificially, and it helps us to make ethical decisions with integrity. Now, I actually thought of a number of others that we could have talked about, but for your sake, I decided to keep this sermon a little shorter. And I stuck with these four. But no matter how many reasons I could have given you for why we need hope, they would have all had one thing in common. And it's been the theme throughout these four things. And that is that hope gives us the ability to look beyond our present situation. 
That's what hope ultimately does for us. When life is crumbling down around you, you can say, my hope is somewhere else, and it is untouched by my present circumstances. It has not changed, my hope has not changed one iota because it doesn't depend on how my life is right in this moment. It's, it's something beyond, it's something greater. I don't have to cheat or tell that little white lie to get my, to get my way because I have something better. I have something in the future awaiting me. It's faith in the future tense, or maybe it would even be better to say it's faith in the eternal tense. We're looking forward. And the only reason we are able to do this is because of Jesus Christ. It's only because of him that we can have this eternal perspective and hope. Jesus is the Son of God, and and by being born as a human being and dying on the cross and rising again, By doing this, he secured our eternal future with God. If you put your faith in him, it's done. It's happened. It's secure because Jesus isn't going anywhere. He is eternal. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He has always existed and always will. And because of that, your hope always exists and always will. And it cannot be taken from you. You see, if you don't have this eternal hope, then it, then it seems that the best you can do is just hope in tomorrow. Hope that tomorrow's a little bit better than today. And you just keep hoping in tomorrow until you run out of tomorrows. That kind of hope in tomorrow just becomes hopeless. But the beauty is, is that in Christ, there is no running out of tomorrows. There is always hope. There's no running out of hope. He gives us what we call eternal life and nothing can stop him from giving it to us because he's God. As Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 14 says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. We also see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you see there? That is our hope. We're waiting for it. It's ready to be revealed in the last time. We are waiting. We have to wait patiently, but we know it's going to happen. And we know that this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's a living hope that cannot die because it rests on Christ, who's already died and conquered death, who rose again, And it's because of this eternal hope that we can endure any anxiety, any suffering, any sacrifice, and any temptation that life throws at us. Not easily, but faithfully, because our hope is in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this Advent season. And we thank You that We can celebrate the hope we have in you today. And Lord, I think about the Advent wreath that that Clarell lit. 
And I think about how that light, that candle, is going to be snuffed out after this service. But I thank you that because of Jesus Christ, because we can rest secure in his promises, we know that the hope, the actual hope we have, will never be snuffed out. It will always endure. It can never be taken from us because it's a living hope that rests securely on Christ. And Lord, if there are any here today who don't know that hope, who are maybe wondering about that hope or, or, or fear that they have doubts about that hope, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. That you would show them the beauty of the hope-filled life that you offer us, Lord. And may we, as people who have accepted this hope, embraced this hope, may we show the hope that we have by how we live. Lord, may we not act as if our lives rest on what happens in the here and now. And may that keep us from, from bitterness. May that keep us from, from selfishness. May that keep us from hopelessness, Lord. May we remember what it is we have in you, Lord. And may we show the hope to the world. Not for our glory, not to hold power over people like Nietzsche would say, but Lord, so that you are glorified, so you are magnified. And because we love you, Lord. Would you do this, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.